Well, you can grab a seat and good morning once again. Uh, If you've been around this summer, uh, the fact is, the sad fact is that I have not. My name is Jacob Smith. Uh, I'm normally our primary teacher over here uh, for Anderson College. I've been in and out all summer for school and leaving and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Speaking of, though, the summer changes. Do you see how amazing this wood stuff looks? I love it. If you were here this past year, I gave a charge basically declaring this room to be a poo-poo. But I have to retract my statements because we have our, we're, we're still in process, honestly, of just doing a lot of crazy stuff, uh, getting it repainted and putting up this wood. A few of our intern guys spearheaded that whole thing, stuff out there. It's going to be amazing. You should be really excited about the fall. And it's only really like a month away, which is also exciting. Uh, but we still have a little bit of summer left, where we still have a little bit of this time off. Uh, and summertime is always so special in my heart, because that was the time that my parents would oftentimes uh, take us to our grandparents' house. So every summer vacation, we had like a week or two, we would go out to Louisiana, that's where both my parents' parents lived. I went to Louisiana, we'd hang out with grandma and then grand, grandmother and papa. And what was really incredible was one summer when I was about seven years old, I got to stay at papa and grandmother's house all by myself. No parental supervision. Which, in case you have not experienced that, let me encourage you to do it as soon as possible. Not with my papa and grandmother, but find your own grandparents and go stay at their house by yourself. Because I am telling you, there is no greater freedom than the freedom you experience while staying at your grandparents' house without your parents around. Because everyone knows in that moment, as soon as your parents walk out the door, all bets are off, all rules are dead. You have, the law means nothing to you anymore. You are free from that law, and instead you can do whatever you want. You can be driving down the street and say, Grandmother, I want to rob that bank. She'd be like, okay. <laughs> I'll be getting away. You know, like that's, that was the type of grandparents that I had. And so one evening I found myself sitting in their house already way past my bedtime, watching a Disney movie, Rescuers Down Under. It's a winner. Uh, watching it. And while I was watching it, my grandmother came out to me. Again, it's like the middle of the night. I should have been in bed like three hours earlier. But she comes out to me. She goes, Jacob, do you want any cantaloupe? And I said, absolutely, grandmother, yes. I love cantaloupe. Please, bring me a bowl. And so she brought me a bowl of cantaloupe. And, you know, I'm just watching these mice save something. And as I'm eating the cantaloupe and I've, I finish my bowl, and I'm like, oh, well, that was good. But all of a sudden, grandmother comes out with a new bowl of cantaloupe. I was like, okay, like, let's, let's keep this going. And so I ate bowl after bowl after bowl of cantaloupe as a seven-year-old, and I ate an entire cantaloupe over the span of that movie. Okay, now at about this time, when the movie finishes up, the cantaloupe has been eaten. I'm just, the rinds are just scattered all over. It's about midnight. And so I think to myself, this was a great night. This was one for the books. Right? I'm going to journal this one away immediately. So fun. It's mi- that's, I go to bed at nine. It's midnight. This is amazing. Can't wait to just go to sleep, rest in the nods. I ate an entire cantaloupe. And in that moment, as I'm kind of picking myself up, you know, putting on my nightcap, uh, my grandmother comes back out and says, Jacob, do you want to watch the movie again? <laughs> I said, Yes. <laughs> And she said, did you want some more cantaloupe too? And I said, yes, absolutely. And so I sit down, watch the movie a whole second time. I eat an entire second cantaloupe, which is pretty incredible if you remember, okay, a seven-year-old, your stomach is about the size of an acorn at that point in your life, okay? But I fit 
two entire cantaloupes into my stomach over the three-hour span. And at the end of that, did I feel very sick? Of course, right? Did I sweat sweet orange juice for the next month of my life? Absolutely. But was it worth it? 100% yes. I would do it again. I, I probably will do it again one of these days knowing myself. Honestly, because to this day, if I buy a cantaloupe, I, it takes every fiber of my being not to eat that entire cantaloupe in one sitting. To this day, as an, a grown man, I desperately want to eat that entire cantaloupe. But I'll normally stop myself about halfway through and be like, okay, that was good but I want to save it. I'm going to feel sick if I eat the whole thing. It's too much sugar. Like, I just need to, need to chill out. So I put it in a bowl. I put it in the fridge. And then I eat it like 30 minutes later, right? Because I have a little bit of a span and I'm like, okay, it's time. But why do I do that? Like, why do I, am I driven to eat this cantaloupe? Even to this day, why am I driven to eat this sweet nectar of the gods? It's because we as humanity, we as people are driven by our appetites, We have such strong appetites, and honestly, a lot of times those appetites are not bad, right? Appetites by themselves are not wrong. When you are hungry, you should eat. When you are thirsty, you need to drink. We have appetites in our society for justice, and that's amazing to see people see injustice in the world, and we're like, that shouldn't happen. That's a good appetite. When we were about a month ago trying to play football for the first time in four years. We had this appetite, this drive. Man, I want to win that game, right? I want to see America just beat those waffle makers and make it all the way to the top. And we had that appetite. And that's a good, that's a good appetite, right? That's a good drive. But the truth is that our culture is often driven by uncontrolled appetites, uncontrollable appetites. And the problem is that those worldly appetites often spoil our appetite for God. When we let them run amok, when we release them, when we don't keep them under control, those appetites can take us to places that we don't want to be, to places where we know we shouldn't be. How many times have you brushed aside God's teaching, God's commands, because you just desperately desired something else, because you had an appetite for recognition, How many times have you just given into that appetite for sex or for intimacy or for acceptance or for revenge? How many times have you allowed that appetite to drive you and push you and steer you into a place where you know you shouldn't be? It's happened to all of us. It will continue to happen to all of us because we are driven by our appetites. And my question to you is why? Why do we do that? Because is that really how Christians should live? Is that the way that we are called? If I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, should I be living in such a way that I'm driven by sinful appetites and then I just feel guilty later? Should that be how I'm known? Should that be how I operate? I think most of us, hopefully all of us, would say, well, no. That doesn't seem quite right. That doesn't seem to be the design for our lives that we see in Scripture. You see, all summer, uh, we've been talking about kind of the basics of Christianity in college. We've been talking about these college matters. And we've been looking at, and what does it look like to be a Christian in college? We've been talking about the basics of prayer Right? We've been looking at who we are. We've been looking at where do we belong. We've been looking at what do we do. 
And in that process, as we've been walking through, we've been kind of understanding, okay, there's this big picture, these kind of these overriding themes of life as a Christian within college. And this morning, what I want us to do is we're going to stop and we're going to look at spiritual disciplines. Mm, discipline. We're going to look at spiritual disciplines, which include a lot of times uh, practices of prayer, evangelism, worship, uh, it's set, giving, tithing, like all these different things that we, we lump into these categories of spiritual disciplines. But I feel like a lot of us have heard a lot said about worshiping or about evangelism, about praying, about reading your Bible. So what I want us to do this morning is to take the road less traveled and look specifically at the spiritual discipline of fasting. Fasting. Looking at this discipline that many of us honestly have never done. That honestly many of us have never even really heard talked about. Because many of us see fasting as this old tradition that maybe kind of had its place in the past. Uh, Maybe this old thing that really doesn't fit with today's culture. But when we look in scripture, what we see is a very different picture. We see, in fact, the Bible treating fasting like a normal portion of any Christian's life. We see Christ. In Matthew, talking about all these different issues, right? Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about all these different things that we do as believers. He says, when you give to the poor, he says, when you pray, when you fast. He never says, if you decide to fast because you're just that holy. He says, when you fast, when you pray, when you give. We look through the early church in the book of Acts. We see regularly the leaders, the the laymen of those churches fasting. Oftentimes we pick up stories with like Peter or Paul or whoever. And we'll pick up in the middle of them fasting. And it's in the midst of that fasting that suddenly they hear something from the Lord or they, they make a decision or they decide to go do something. Because they were in the middle of this fasting that was normal in their life. So this morning what I want us to do is to look at this idea of of Fasting. When we fast, I want us to look at really what is fasting. When I was studying this, one of the best things I came across was this definition by this guy. And he says that fasting is basically the abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. Okay, I love this definition because it's so just jam-packed with richness. Okay, abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. It's legitimate. Okay. I had it highlighted, but I don't know why. Oh, wow. Laser. Okay. Legitimate. Okay. See it? That means that this thing that we're studying, this this thing that you're abstaining from, it, it can't be just something evil already, right? It can't just already be a sin or a destructive behavior. You can't say, oh, well, this week I'm going to abstain from pinching babies. You know, like that's already bad. <laughs> if you told your friend, hey, I'm not going to yell at puppies for like two weeks. You'd be like, okay, well, you should not yell at puppies all weeks, right? Like that's, that's a destructive behavior that in and of itself is already bad. This is a legitimate thing. You can't abstain from a sin of lying or cheating or whatever. Like this is abstaining from something legitimate. Why? For the sake of a spiritual purpose. Meaning you can't just abstain for it for the sake of abstaining because somehow it makes you feel tough. Uh, It's not for the sake of feeling that pain. It's it's not for self-help, right? It's not to lose weight or to feel just healthier or anything like that. This is for a spiritual purpose. And he, it's anything. This is what we often overlook. It can be anything. I'm abstaining from anything, anything. 
This is so key because many times when we think of fasting, we think of, oh, well, food. Yeah, like you don't eat or something for like a day or whatever. And yeah, food is included in anything, right? You can abstain from food. You could also abstain from maybe a particular food, like coffee. <gasps> what? Cast stones, right? Like <laughs> coffee. You could abstain from, uh, you know, cantaloupe. I'll, be, I'll, throw, I'll put that on the table. I could abstain from cantaloupe, maybe. Probably not. You could abstain from non-food items. You could abstain from certain types of entertainment. You could abstain from television or movies. You could abstain from uh, using the internet for fun purposes. You could abstain from Instagram. <sighs> Hashtag what? <laughs> But you could. That is included in anything. You could abstain from these different things that you love and enjoy because the idea is that you're taking something legitimate and you're abstaining from it. How do you do that? Okay, so how does that really work? So if we understand, okay, that's what fasting is. How does that really play out? Thankfully, Jesus himself talks about how are we supposed to fast? Going off of that passage that I quoted just a little bit of it, A minute ago, in Matthew 6, he says, When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's funny about Christ's little big sermon that he's going through here in Matthew 6 is that he follows this pattern, this really cool pattern, where he talks about these practices that the Israelites kind of knew from days gone by that he's carrying over into basically Christians. He's saying, look, this is, if, you want to, if you're part of my family, if you're part of my people, which is now open to Gentiles, he says, this is how you need to live. And he takes these practices, and what I love is that he always talks about how to not do it first. He goes, don't do it like this, but instead do it like this over and over and over again. So right here he says, when you fast, do not do it like the Pharisees. Don't look gloomy. Don't do these things. Why does he say this? He's saying, don't act like the Pharisees because they were putting on a show basically that they may be seen by others. They were fasting for attention. The Pharisees would look literally just so terrible, so terrible. They would like put like ash on their heads and rip their clothes and they wouldn't shower or I guess they didn't shower anyway, but they wouldn't roll around in the riverbed or whatever. And so they would look just terrible. And so people would walk up to them and be like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? And they'd be like, oh, I'm just, I'm just so hungry. I'm so hungry. Why? Why, Joe Pharisee? Why are you so hungry? <laughs> oh, you know, because I'm fasting. Oh, I'm fasting for the Lord. I've disfigured myself. And they would put on this big show. They'd go home, put up their Facebook status update. Oh, fasting, frowny face, right? They were so hungry because they wanted people to look and see like, oh, okay, yeah, he, he's, wow. <laughs> Check out the holiness levels on that guy. That Pharisee, he's doing so good. And Jesus says, look, they do it to be seen by others. And he says, you know what? They've seen it. So you know what? They've received their reward. Christ says, yeah, you know what? You really want people to see you do it? Mission accomplished. There's your reward. So if you want to fast or do these things to gain recognition, I mean, you, you, you're getting your reward here on earth. You're like, you're accomplishing all you wanted. Good for you. But he says, but instead, do this. 
It says, anoint your head and wash your face. That other people aren't just like amazed by you. That's not just obvious, but so that God sees it. So that God will see it in secret. So you'll receive your reward from the Lord because God is be always, this is what Christ is trying to communicate. God is always more concerned with the heart over the behavior. He's trying to show his people, look, I care about your motive. Right? I care about what you do, obviously. Obedience is still so important. The outward obedience, so great. Even if you don't feel like obeying, you should still obey. But if you could obey out of a pure motive, that is, man, that's it. That's the sweet spot. That's what I want for you. That's what I want from you. This is why Paul warns the Colossians. In Colossians 2, he says, These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body. But they are no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul is saying, look, you have these things, right? What I read a few minutes ago. You have these ideas of not touching or not doing or not, not handling these certain things. He says, and you know, you can do those things and that's great. But many times you're doing it out of the wrong motives. Man, you're doing these things not for God's glory, but, but you're doing it out of pride, for the sake of pride. He says, instead, I want you to have the self-control for God's glory, not for your own. One of uh, the few topics, legitimately, just one of very few number of topics that just kind of crush my heart and soul inside of me whenever someone brings it up unasked uh, is their special diet, okay? You probably have had this friend. If not, you are this friend. And I still love you in Christ. But it's one of those things that people on a new diet, right, or a new, like, lifestyle or workout plan or whatever it is, they will tell you all about, man, what they can eat, what they can't eat, right? They're like, oh, I can't have grain or dairy, right? Like, oh, I can, no water, no water ever. (laughs) I can eat chicken, right? But it can't be an unhappy chicken, right? It has to be a happy chicken. Sad chicken is bad chicken. Happy chicken only, right? Like they have these like crazy rules. There's just, there'll always be a new workout plan. There'll always be a new diet. And they've got these things and they'll tell you about it and they'll just talk and talk and talk and talk. And it's great, right? And that's, that's great. I hear that. I'm like, yes. And you know, I'm very polite and I nod. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, I'll just go back to eating my ice cream dinner. Thank you. Yes. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds wonderful, right? Now I'll, I'll hear them and I'll go along with that. That's awesome. Now, and is it possible for them to bring up these diets out of pure love? Because they were legitimately just really excited and they just want me to hear about it and they want to maybe uh, bring me into the fold of this brand new lease on life. Absolutely. It is very possible that they are bringing that diet up completely out of love. I recognize that. Now, is it also possible (laughs) that they could be bringing it up out of a little bit of pride? Is it possible they could be bringing it up with this goal to really shine light on what they've been doing and all these things that they've accomplished and what they don't eat and how happy all the chickens are that they consume. Like, is that possibly their motivation? I think so. I think so. Is it possible that that could happen? Of course. When we are fasting, when we are, self, when we are in the midst of the self-control, in the midst of this discipline, Paul and Christ are warning us, do it <laughs> Not to bring yourself glory. Do it to bring glory to the Lord. As we grow in Christ, we are always at risk to look at our lives 
and kind of pat ourselves on the back. There's always that chance. There's always that opportunity to look back at what I've done and think, man, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty good. To look back and think, yeah, 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 you know, I, I put my faith in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I did that. Right? I recognized that I was a sinner. I recognized that there was nothing I could do. I put my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Put my faith in the fact that he came, that he was God who put on flesh, who died and rose again on my behalf. I, I put my faith in that. I trust in that fact. I want a relationship with God, and I know it's only possible through Christ. I, I, I've done that. And I know that God forgave me because of what Christ accomplished. But it's also probably because I'm a little bit awesome, right? Like we always want to add just a little bit of what we've done. We always want to think like, yeah, God totally forgave me because of what Christ did. And because of that one time I was really nice to that guy that I really didn't like. Right? Like we have these ideas where we look back and we think, no, nah, I think I did. And that's so dangerous. That is so dangerous. Because as soon as we try to pick up little things or disciplines or activities or thoughts or motivations that we've had in our life, that we're like, oh, that was pretty great. We are trying to take away from what Christ has done. And Paul himself says that is rubbish. You can do all the great things you ever want in your entire life. It is rubbish. It is junk. It's nothing. Instead, our entire Salvation, our entire lives rest entirely not on what we've done, not on what we've accomplished, but on what Christ has done, on what Christ has accomplished. Don't fall into that trap of thinking that you can add to what Christ has done. Paul uses the terminology of saying that we puff ourselves up, trying to think of these things that we've done. I puff myself up and it's foolish because my works are nothing compared to what Christ has done. Nothing. So if we're not fasting for the approval of others, we're not fasting for our pride, how do we fast for the sake of God's glory? How do we do that? Right? So if we understand why are we fasting, how does that work? Well, when we're looking at the idea of fasting, we're looking at kind of these different facets of of why it why it brings glory to God. Okay, there's a couple different little kind of checkpoints along the way. There's a lot of little, little ways that up to one big way that it points to the Lord. First of all, that it shows us it will expose our sin. Whenever I am fasting, whenever I'm denying myself, man, that, that brings out my sinful nature more than anything else. There's nothing like self-denial to bring out your sinful nature. My wife and I have been married for about four and a half years. And over the course of that time, we've cooked many a meal together in the kitchen, right? We've cooked, uh, we've prepared these, these banquets, these feasts for our consumption. And I'll tell you, there's a marked difference between our activities within the kitchen uh, before the meal and then our activities after the meal. All right, now, after the meal, you know, you've eaten, you've got to clean up. You know, when we're cleaning stuff up, maybe, you know, you bump into each other. Especially we used to live in a, this kitchen, where we had this kitchen that was like the size of me just standing here. And so we would bump into each other, you know, like things would happen. Just kind of, oh, whoop, you know, after the meal, that would happen. You'd be like, oh, you, oh. sorry. Sorry, boo-boo. My bad. You know, like we would be... 
we would be so sweet and say, oh, I'm so, so I, will, I will look out for you next time, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change my ways, baby. I'm going to change my ways. I'll never bump into you ever again. I, I promise this. But before the meal, right? So that's after the meal. Very sweet. Before the meal, we bump into each other. All of a sudden, like, one of us is in a headlock. And the person performing the headlock is saying, I will end you. I will end you. Right? Like, there's just no grace to be found in that kitchen. And you know, either one of us would do that, right? Because in that moment, what? We are hungry, right? In that moment, we are, we are trying to get the food ready so that we can eat it, so that we can have something in here, right? We want to have that food in us because we are hungry. We want to we appease that appetite. We want to feed that hunger. And when we are hungry, when we have denied ourselves that food that we need, we get grumpy. Be. Oh my goodness. My wife and I both, we get so grumpy when we're hungry. And it comes out in our behavior. It comes out in the way that we live. That self-denial brings out our sinful nature. Try to go without something that you love. Try to just live away from something that you, re- you use every day or every other day, something you really just enjoy. Go without it. Don't set a time limit. Just be like, I'm not going to use that for the foreseeable future, how badly do you crave it? How quickly do you just got to have it? You try to go without caffeine. Many of us, I guarantee you, would have physical withdrawal from not having caffeine. We would get a caffeine headache. We'd be like, oh my gosh, what's happening to the world? Right? Everything's like slow motion and you don't know it's And you just are tired, right? Why? Because you're so used to having that caffeine. You're so used to having that, that drug, that chemical in your body that when you go without it, it takes like a day and you're like, oh God, I get it again, right? You need my fix. This summer I've been living in Dallas for I've, four separate weeks. I've gone and lived in Dallas uh, just for fun uh, because I, I have school up there. So I have to go up and I go to class all week. And so over the course of each of those weeks, I'll tell you one of the things that I never really knew I loved. One of those things I never really knew I craved. Like there were certain things in college station I knew I would miss. I'd be like, I will, I will miss my wife, right? I will miss my friends. I will miss the things going on in college station. I'll miss being around you guys. I will miss the students. But one of the things I didn't really realize I would miss so much uh, was sleeping in a bed. Okay, because when I go to Dallas, I have an air mattress. And an air mattress is, it's okay, right? It's not the floor, so that's good. Because I tried that one night, and that did not work. Uh, but I sleep on an air mattress. And when I sleep on that air mattress, I've literally had moments in the night where I'll just wake up. I never wake up in the night, but when I'm sleeping on an air mattress, I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, God, I can't. I can't do it. I hate this, right? Like, it's just, it's uncomfortable. You're kind of fluent. I, I had these air mattresses that kept getting leaks, and so I would just, like, be on the floor <laughs> by, like, 3 a.m. I'm like, oh! But I wake up. I have a new one that works, but I wake up even on the working one. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'm just, like, I legitimately, this is, I'm being completely honest. I go through the thought process of how could I somehow, like, trick someone else in the house out of their bed tonight. Like how, maybe when they get up to pee, I could just like go lay in their bed and pretend to be like already sound asleep. And then they wouldn't make me move. Maybe I could just take a pillow and just, you know, I don't know. Like I, I just, I go through that thought process literally every time. I'm like, maybe 
I could do it. This, I don't know. And I try to bring myself to a point where I could steal a bed because it takes literally like one night and I'm like, I want a, I want a real bed. I want a real bed. Like I get to that point where I just, I create, I need it so much. When we fast, when we give something up, it reveals who we are, where we are so quickly. It so quickly shows us, man, this is where you have elevated God's gifts above God himself. This is how much you prize and value a, a, a thing that God's given you. You care about so much that you will sin. You care about so much that you will be mean to your wife. You care about so much that you're going to be mean to these other people. You'll be grumpy and you will show up late to class or whatever because you're missing this thing because you're, you're going to let people fall by the wayside. You're going to let God himself fall by the wayside while you chase after this thing. That's what fasting does. It exposes that sin in our life. And we need that. We need that to be exposed from time to time. But it does more than just expose our sin. It also helps us express our repentance over that sin. Someone look up Joel 2. Since I don't have slides, I'm going to have people look up verses. And this is going to be fun. Joel 2, verse 12. Who's turning to it? Raise your hand. When we look at the book of Joel, what we're seeing is a prophet and he's kind of explaining all this different stuff about the God and about Israel. And it's a really cool book. And at one point he's talking about how the Israel's caused, they've done all these wrong things, right? Israel's made all these mistakes. And so Joel in Joel 2 verse 12 and 13, he's telling Israel, look, this is what you need to do. You've seen this sin in this life. I've shown you, I've exposed the sin. Now this is what we do because of it. Joel tells Israel, says, you've done all these things that are so wrong. You should repent. How do you repent? How do you express repentance? How do you seek God's forgiveness over what you've done? Fast. Fast. Tear your clothes. Fast. Deny yourself these things that you love. Deny yourself of these gifts that God's given you. Put them aside. Instead, chase after God alone. This is why when we read the book of Jonah... We see him going to the city called Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh. It's filled with the Ninevites. They're the most evil, just terrible people. And so Jonah shows up and he's like, hey, he really doesn't want to help them uh, come back to the Lord. You know, God's told him to do that. So instead he just walks up. And he's like, hey, um, you guys should totally repent because God's going to judge you. And like, that's it. He like says it like maybe like once and then just kind of walks away. But it catches hold of the Ninevites heart and spreads to the city until the king hears about it. King hears, he goes, oh my gosh, he's right. We've wronged God. He has exposed our sin. So what we need to do is we need to express our repentance. We need to express our grief over that sin. So what we're going to do is everyone in the entire city is going to put on sackcloth. Basically like bat, you know, like burlap sacks that you put grain and stuff into. You're going to wear that and you're going to fast and you're going to mourn and you're going to wail. The entire city is going to fast and wear sackcloth as a sign of our mourning. Not only are all the people going to do that, the king is like, that's, that's not enough. How can, we, how can we turn that up to 11, right? Like, how are we going to take this up the next notch? Every animal you see, every camel, horse, dog, cat, porcupine, put them, I don't know if they had porcupines, put them in sackcloth. He tells all of his people, you need to put all of your animals in sackcloth. You need to put ash and stuff on all of your animals. So because we need to somehow communicate through our actions, through this abstinence, we need to show God that we are sorry, that we repent of what we have done. That's how serious they were. 
We need to realize that fasting is used as a way to repent to the Lord. You have a sin in your life that just has a hold of you. You can fast, not only to try to pull away from it, but you fast as a way of showing the Lord, God, I, I am sorry. I want to run the opposite direction. That's where repentance is. You say no to it, and then you run. God, that's what I want to do. But fasting isn't only useful to expose our sin, to express our grief. It's also useful to help us overcome that enslavement. Fasting is useful to build up that self-control. Someone look up Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Right? We live in a very self-indulgent society. Right? Now, when we go out into our world, we go out into our American culture, we are incredibly self-indulgent. When we want something, I want it now. And if I don't get it, there is something wrong with the world, right? That's, a, that's our mindset more oftentimes than not. I want it, so I want it now. And if it doesn't happen right now, that is someone's fault. Someone has dropped the ball. If I don't have that soy mocha chocolatey latte in three minutes, I owe something. I'm going to Yelp review you to the ground, right? Like I'm going to get so upset and I'm going to fill these things out because we live in a, a society that is so self-indulgent. That's why there's a rising trend. In your world, there's a rising trend of parents contacting professors in colleges to complain to the prof about the grades that their student got. Both my parents are profs. My older sister was a prof for a while. They all had experiences with parents contacting. They have a 22-year-old child who is at this point an adult but this parent whether through a conversation with the kid or just of their own accord contacts the professor to complain like i i don't i think you could have i think that that essay could have gotten an a instead of a b i think you you know could have given more leeway like why didn't you offer more extra credit or why didn't you give them you know prolong the the due date Parents calling professors. Not only is it increasing within college universities right this is across the board all these colleges are being contacted by parents they are now also, this is amazing, contacting companies where their kids interview and talking to HR departments, talking to uh, the bosses of these kids, complaining to them about either the kid didn't get hired or maybe the kid just feels like frustrated in their job or they can't you know, rise above. Again, this is an adult. This is like a 24-year-old adult whose parents are contacting their place of work to just let them know what, how it should actually be. You know, like there's this movement in our society because we are just convinced that the world should bend around what we want it to be. We are a self-indulgent society enslaved by our appetites, by our own desires. That's why Philippians 3 stands out so much when Paul says in verses 18 and 19, Paul tells the Philippians, look, there are people out there their good is in their belly. Another way of saying that, their desire is in their belly. Another way of saying that, they are driven by their belly. They are driven by their appetites. They are, all of the things that they ever want, ever need, all, their entire world is revolving around their belly. What they want. That's how they think the world should work. And Paul is saying, that is the enemy. Those are the people that are lost. That's not how you should live. That's why he tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, look, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by 
anything. Paul says there are cultures, there is a society around us that is driven by their belly. And he says, you know what? Honestly, you can have lots of stuff. As Christians in this day and age, like there is so much that is lawful. Here specifically, he's talking about stuff that we don't really debate about, like meat sacrificed to idols and stuff like that. But the principle is the same. There are so many things in our society that are lawful. There are so many shows you can watch. There's so much uh, entertainment you can consume. There's all these different things that you can do that are lawful, but it's not all helpful. It's not all needed. It's not all good. Paul is saying, look, I'm not going to be dominated. Another way, in another version, he says, I'm not going to be enslaved by anything. He says, I'm, even though I could partake of those certain things or ideas or or practices, I'm going to abstain because it's not necessarily helpful. And in doing so, I might find myself addicted or enslaved or dominated by that food activity, relationship, whatever. As a believer, we are called to a higher standard. We practice through fasting, saying no to our appetites. And in doing so, we build that self-control. We're fueling that self-control fire that honestly only comes upon us through the Holy Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit. One of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. So he says, you look out of the world, you see a lack of self-control. That's going to happen because they're not believers. They don't have the Spirit. He says, but you are different. You should not be dominated. That's why we value self-control. That's why we look out and we don't see just legalism. As oftentimes our culture will tell us like, oh, well, you don't, you don't do that or this. Well, pff, Pharisee. No, it's not always bad. If you're coming at it with the right motivations, like we already talked about, you're exhibiting self-control, which is good. It is something to be praised. That's why we look at things like the World Cup and we're like, yeah, that's awesome, right? Why are we so impressed by the World Cup? Because you've got all these people who have spent literally their lives, years upon years, training themselves, controlling themselves, working, knowing how to like flip the ball over their head or whatever. Like they know how to do those things, right? And they know how to run. Oh my gosh, they run so much. It makes me tired just watching I just fall asleep. Well, I probably fall asleep because it's soccer, but I also fall asleep because I'm like, that's a lot of running, right? But they run around so much and we're impressed. We're like, wow, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Like, that's pretty awesome. Why? Because we're like, man, that took a lot of self-control. We understand that there is a level of self-control. It doesn't have to necessarily be selfish. It can instead just be the self-control that is in and of itself good. It should be valued. Paul is saying as Christians, as believers, You should have self-control in your life. You should not be enslaved by anything. So practice through fasting, saying no to an appetite, saying yes to the Lord. And ultimately, as we are exposing our sin, as we are expressing our repentance, as we are overcoming our enslavement, one of the cool things about fasting is it allows us, it puts us in a place to receive guidance from the Holy Spirit. There's a quote by Piper. John Piper, pastor up in uh, Northern America. And he uh, basically explains, he's talking about fasting. He's talking about the idea of spiritual disciplines. And he says, you know, whenever you fast, says what you're doing is you are basically putting down your earthly desire, your earthly appetite. And when you're pushing aside that fleshly desire, that fleshly appetite, you're suddenly allowing your spiritual appetite more room. He says, our desire to be with the Lord, our desire to have a relationship with God is a 
spiritual appetite. But we can't hear that appetite. We can't respond to that appetite if we're always just feeding the physical one. So he says fasting is so great because you're pushing down the physical in favor of the spiritual. He's saying we can prepare ourselves to hear from the Lord. We can clear our thoughts, prepare ourselves to be more in tune with God's direction through fasting. I see this play out every single week. This makes so much sense to me because every week, whenever I'm trying to prep a sermon, I have to push away physical things so that I can mentally and spiritually connect with the Lord. A few years ago, I was trying to prep uh, and I had my little sister and my niece, who was about two at the time, they were staying at my house. And normally, right, when it's just my wife and myself, I could just like go into a room, into like our guest room or my bedroom or whatever it is. It was like late, at, it was like at nighttime or something. And I was just, you know, kind of finalizing my thoughts for a sermon. And because that's what I have to do. I have to go somewhere where I can just not have people try and talk to me and not be hungry or whatever. I just go to a place where I can focus entirely on the Lord. So I used to be able to do this in my house. And so I would sit, I was sitting there and trying to focus and, you know, finalize my thoughts and type it all out and make some slides. And uh, in that process, my niece, Catherine, who again was about two, came into the room and she had a purse with her, which is normal. She normally, even to this day, she's about four now. She always loves to carry around a purse and she stuffs it full of stuff. And normally it's like toys. But in this case, what I found out was she had stuffed it full of uh, change, like coins. And I found that out because in the middle of my sermon prep, she walks in my room. I'm like, oh, hey, Catherine, what's it? And she just takes the purse and just dumps it. <laughs> and just hundreds of coins just, poosh, just fall out. Hit my floor, poosh, 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 the hard floors. And so the coins just fly everywhere. Just and then she just goes, ah! and like runs away. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> that was a nice little break. You know, maybe I'll try to get back to, you know, the Lord. But then she runs back into my room. And then she starts like, ha, 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 And she starts picking up coins. And she starts handing them to me. One by one. <laughs> so she'd be like, here you go. And I'd be like, oh, thank you, Catherine. Okay, I'm going to get back to work now. Oh, what? Another coin. Okay. Right. And we just go through this process for so long until, oh, I just got to where I was like, okay, I, like, I, I'm just going to have to do this. I just had to shut down and be like, okay, let's. I'm going to engage with the coin picking up. And it was pretty fun, I have to admit. But it was a moment where I had these physical things coming at me, right? It was a person that wanted to communicate with me, of coins that wanted to be placed in my hand. And so I had to engage with that. And because of that physical thing that rose up, I wasn't able to engage with the Lord as I could have. Piper's saying what we see in Scripture is there is a level of intimacy that is found when we are obedient before the Lord. Proverbs 3 says, uh, basically what I just said, I'm not pulling this out of my head. I'm pulling it out of the Bible. Proverbs three tells us that there is a level of intimacy that is to be found when we are obedient before the Lord. Proverbs three thirty two says for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence in God's confidence at a level of connection with the Lord. And we've seen that play out, right? If we have a sin in our life that's just so big, if we have that appetite that we keep feeding, if we feel enslaved to that one desire, it doesn't destroy our relationship with God. It does not negate the salvation that you received through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it can hamper your relationship with God. It can make 
it a little bit more cloudy. It can scratch up the surface. It can make it harder for you to connect with the Lord because the Bible tells us the upright are in his confidence. The obedient are at that level of intimacy with the Lord where we hear his word. We know his thoughts. We do his actions. More often than not, that is found in a heart and a life that is already obedient. So fasting doesn't only expose our sin. It doesn't just express our repentance. It doesn't only help us build our self-control. It allows us to receive guidance from God's spirit. So my encouragement, my kind of challenge to you guys this week is very practical. Yeah, I think we can all do it. A lot of times we hear it, we're like, yeah, I'll do that one day. Let's do this. This week, let's fast. But as we fast, and give us a couple little pointers, guidelines, I would encourage you first and foremost to really check your motives. Right? Don't just fast because you're like, well, I guess Jacob said it was a good idea, so maybe I'll... Don't. Check your motives. Do you want God to see this fasting? Do you want men to see it? And more than that, not even checking, like, is it right or wrong? Check yourself. What do you want to accomplish, right? We just covered a lot of different ways that fasting can affect us. Do you want guidance? Do you want the fasting to help you overcome some sort of enslavement? Do you want the fasting to help expose a sin in your life? Do you want the fasting to help you uh, repent before the Lord? Have a purpose, right? Check your motive. Check the purpose of your fasting. And then start small, small. You can read books and stuff. There was one pretty cool about a year ago. It was called like the 40-day fast. And you would literally fast for 40 days uh, from like different stuff. And a lot of people were like, this is really great. I'm totally going to do that. And they'd be like, okay, 40 days from now, I'm not going to. And it would, they would crash. I mean, some people succeeded, but a lot of people just crashed and burned. Why? Because they went straight from no fasting in their life at all, never even thought about it, to I'm going to fast for 40 days. That's a lot, right? That's trying to just jump up from your chair and be like, I'm going to run a marathon. I walked here from the parking lot, so I can probably do it, right? Like, that's not (laughs) logical, right? No, you need to start small. You build up. So when you think about your fasting that you're going to do this week, right? We're going to do it this week. We're going to think about, okay, well, maybe I have, maybe you lay out, I'm going to fast for the whole week, but I'm just going to fast maybe like one meal, or I'm going to fast one type of thing, or maybe I'm going to fast from all food or, you know, all of something or other, but I'm going to do it for just one day, right? Two days, 30 hours. Right? If it's a food thing, if it's a non-food thing, I would encourage you, start small. Small enough that you can do it. Because we're not in the practice of this. We don't have the hang of this in our lives. So check your motives. Start small. And then during that time, listen. Listen to the Lord. It's so easy to get caught up and think, oh, I'm just going to fast. And that's going to be really cool. And then we forget the most important part, which is to stop and go before the Lord and say, God, what do you want to tell me during this time? How do you want to use this fasting? Listen, shut out the chatter and the, the junk and all the, the yapping in your mind that's like, you need to drink caffeine. Like, just try to push it aside. And instead, listen to God. Listen to his call. This week, let's fast. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are so good that God, you have given us so many gifts. And God, we are saddened by the fact that many of us 
have allowed those gifts to become more important than the God who gave them to us. God, we acknowledge that we are sinners who make mistakes. God, we thank you that in your grace, you have given us a direction ahead, that God, you've given us guidance in in how to avoid those same pitfalls, that God, you have saved us through Jesus Christ who gives us his righteousness, that we're not slaves to sin, but that God, instead, we are belonging to you So if you would take a moment, just ask the Lord that he would show you right now the, the kind of the time frame. He would give you an idea of where fasting could kind of work in your life this week. What to fast from, how long to do it. Show you maybe who you could be accountable to, to actually follow through. Ask the Lord to kind of help guide your thoughts to formulate a plan right now. If you would take a moment now and ask the Lord that he would keep your heart in the right place as you embark upon this discipline. Ask that God would, either through his word or or through prayer or maybe through the, the words of another believer in your life, that he would keep you in check. That this discipline would truly be for his glory and not for your own. Ask him those things right now.